Well, good evening and welcome to uh, Gospel Issues Seminar uh, tonight. And the uh, very interesting and important subject we've got for you today is educating our children. Is there a God-given mandate? I'm sure you'll all agree that education is really one of the most important topics. And certainly by the end of this presentation, I'm very confident you'll agree with that. Um, we have got Steve Bigu, our head of education at Chris Concern, former head teacher, lots of experience in education. Um, and he's gonna give a presentation, uh, which will last for about 40 minutes. And then we will bring him on live uh, and Andrea Williams as well on live uh, to discuss your questions in our live Q&A session immediately following the presentation. Um, so type away your questions, whether you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, put in your questions and comments uh, in the, uh, on, the, on the comment section, and we will all be monitoring them and see them, and uh, we will try and respond to as many as we can of your questions uh, in the live discussion afterwards, after the presentation. So uh, it's a brilliant presentation. I'm looking forward to uh, you all seeing it. I've seen it myself already. And without further ado, I'll hand over to the team so they can show the film of the presentation. And I'll see you back right here in 40 minutes for a live Q&A. Thank you. Great. Well, it's great to be speaking to you today as head of education here at Christian Concern on what has got to be the defining topic of our era for Christians here in the UK. Um, now, you might think that's a bit of an overstatement. Well, let me put some facts to you as we begin thinking about this title, Educating Our Children. Is there a God-given mandate? Now, what I will do is outline some facts to you and then explain what the Bible says from two greats, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And then we'll bring some signs of hope and some good news, um, including a challenge about what we could be doing in this area. So here are some of the facts on this key gospel issue. These statistics I'm about to bring to you are research-based conclusions, including from the National Centre for Social Research from 2019, the British Social Attitudes Report, which is headed up by John Curtis of BBC Election Night fame. Now, listen to this. In 1983, when British Social Attitudes began measuring religious identity, two-thirds of the British public identified as Christian. This figure now stands at just over one-third. This decline is generational. Each successive cohort is less likely to identify as religious than the one before. An analysis by these two good people um, illustrates the mechanics of this decline. While two non-religious parents will successfully transmit their lack of religion to their children, two religious parents have just a 50-50 chance of passing on their faith. Two religious parents have just a 50-50 chance of passing on their faith. So let me spell this out for you. What this means is if you have a mum and dad who are atheists, you can rest assured 
that the culture, the media, and the schooling around will not dissuade your children from also becoming non-religious. However, if you're a mum and dad at home who are both Christians, the expectation given the normal cultural processes of life here in the UK in 2020 from all the research means that their children have only a 50% chance of following the faith of their parents. So if you're out there and you have two children and you're Christian, only one of them statistically will take on the faith. If you're at all interested in there being Christians in this country and in your church in the future, keep listening. If you're at all interested in your own children following Jesus Christ, please keep listening. On current trends, there will be a negligible number of Church of England members in 2033. And no Christians born from those currently living in Britain by 2067 on the current trends. So in the time of the length of my life so far, uh, that's 47 years, no Christians? Maybe this is being slightly overstated, but look at the graphs from Professor John Curtis. It is actually clear on current trends that Islam will become the majority religion at some point in the middle of this century here in the UK. Now, I would concede that I don't think the growing ethnic minority churches and Christian immigration is fully shown in these predictions. However, Christians, church, we do need to wake up. Has your church been growing? Have your children grown in Christian faith and into following the Lord as adults? Judges 2 verse 10 says this of the people of God who had taken the promised land, but after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. Why not? Having looked at the statistical evidence um, of the time, Damien Thompson said in his Spectator article a couple of years ago, let's not get sidetracked into an argument about Islam, although it probably will become Britain's largest religion sometime this century. It isn't emptying our village churches. The deadliest enemy of Western Christianity isn't Islam or atheism, but the infinitely complex process of secularization. Let me ask you, what do you think is happening to our children? The most rapidly secularizing environments I know of are schools. I think I made my first genuine commitment to follow Jesus when I was seven years old. I remember asking to be prayed for at a Saturday children's group. And I had a powerful and exciting experience of God's love that I remember to this very day. When I was 14, I decided I wanted to be baptised. 
and the fruit of my own personal commitment began to show its reality really when I went off to university at aged 18 and I was making every decision really for myself at that point. Do you know when most people in the UK say that they became Christians? Or they say they know they made a commitment, their first commitment to Christ. It's before the age of 18. Now it is a process and for many it's hard to tell the moment. But the fact is that the influences that you have around you as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, shape your whole life. If you were to survey the Christians you know, the ones in your church, you'd find that the majority of them made their commitment to Christ before the age of 18. And the vast majority of them before the age of 16. As the Comres research in 2017 showed and the Humanist Society understandably publicised, poll reveals just 5% of British Christians became Christians after leaving school. Frankly put, the research does show that if you have not made a decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18, you are very unlikely to repent and change your trajectory to then do so, to live a life following Jesus Christ. Of course, we must reach out to everyone, no matter what age. But when is the most crucial time? It's against this backdrop that we must look to what we're taught in the scriptures. The most basic of teachings, Christianity 101, if you will, which I believe the church in the UK is forgetting. So I've given you some facts there, and now we're going to look at these two greats. The great commandment. Most of you watching or listening to this will probably know what is called the greatest commandment, where Jesus, faced by the best teachers of the law, quotes what he sees as of most importance. The story in Mark goes like this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. He asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus is quoting what God had directly spoken to Moses to impress upon the community of people before they went into the promised land. And yet within a generation, they'd forgotten it. He's quoting Deuteronomy. 
which doesn't just start with a command to individuals, no, but to the community of people. Hear, O Israel. We often miss this bit out when we talk about the great commandment. Hear, O Israel. This is what you must know and teach together. And Jesus and the people of God had no question that it was their responsibility to actively and carefully pass on this knowledge and love of God to their children. I think we've bought into the lie that the state educates our children and we take them to church. Secularism. And hopefully, maybe from the influences that they've had, maybe an hour a week at Sunday school and maybe from the, and I am I'm being sarcastic here, maybe from the responsibly non-committal neutral environment that we've given them, they can make their own personal choice. This isn't what God has told us to do for his children. There can be such a tiny amount of teaching coming from us and 30 hours a week of teaching from the neutral state school on average, nowadays, another 30 hours a week for our teenagers, discipled through the media, through their devices. Will they be able to effectively decide for themselves? Being non-committal and neutral about belief means being agnostic and secular ourselves. And encouraging our children, maybe, to be agnostic and secular. Sadly, most of them now are. Compare this to what God commands his people in the text of Deuteronomy, in the great commandment. And um, as I read it, please note the frequent reference to children. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. As long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build and houses filled with all good things you did not provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards, olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt 
out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. He'll destroy you from the face of the land. And in the future, when your child asks you, what's the meaning of these stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord God has given, has commanded you? Tell them, tell them the story. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Verse 25 there, if we're careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he's commanded, that will be our righteousness. This is what you explain. When your child asks you, says the Lord, give them an answer. Make sure they know the answer. Who answers your children's questions about God, about life? Has the enemy really caused all of us to forget something or forget someone? Have we become so busy in our churches, taking the land, plowing the soil, doing our work, settling in, enjoying it, that we haven't given our time and resources to something so important? Apparently only 5% of our church resources go to the 25% of our congregations, the under 18s. Have you discerned yet why this is occurring? After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. Our children are so precious to God and to us, and they are at a vulnerable stage. 13 years ago, a mother headed off to work. Ryland Balfour was used to making one stop on her drive to work to drop her nine-month-old son, Bryce, off at his babysitter's. Even though she remembers making that stop on March the 30th, 2007, she actually didn't. She forgot. It was a cold Virginia day, driving with her brain on autopilot, carrying on with life as usual. This loving, caring parent proceeded to drive to work, forgetting about Bryce, silently sitting in his carrier in the back seat. By the end of that day, Ryland had returned to the car to find him. He had died of hypothermia. Ryland goes around bravely telling her tragic story to help parents not to forget their children. There's apparently an ability for us to block out, have a blind spot to what's important, 
even to create a false memory of having done the right thing. Oh, I'm sure we've done that, haven't we? I'm sure we've taught our children about Jesus. Here, oh Israel, don't forget God's great commandment and his precious children. But Because the promise, if we do remember, and obey is wonderful. Deuteronomy says that the rewards for this are that you will enjoy long life together with your children in a beautiful and blessed home, seeing your children flourish, even eternal life together with your children in that future promised land, our home of the new heavens and the new earth, for us to enjoy together with our children. It's a great commandment set in its full context because it also has great eternal promises for us and our children's flourishing. Why would we allow ourselves to forget this? This great commandment has always been love the Lord your God and pass this on to your children. So summarising where we've come to, I've, I've shown you some of the facts of what's happening and how children are at their most responsive to the gospel in their childhood, but that we in the church in Britain, we're not passing our faith on to them. We've looked at this first great, the great commandment and thought about it today and how it relates maybe to us and our children. And we'll next look at the second great that I want to talk about, the Great Commission. And then how we can have hope for the future. The Great Commission. These most basic of teachings. Christianity 101. Jesus lovingly gave us clear instructions before he ascended. He'll be coming back one day to see how we've responded. He said, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Lord invites us to the adventure of our lifetime together with our children. How do you make disciples of all nations? He says he wants us to teach. Teaching. Who are the most responsive people to teach? And as blessing flows from Father to Son to Holy Spirit in that God community of the Trinity. So the blessing of the teaching is commanded to us to be passed from Father to Son and in community. God's great commission, that is a church community commission, is that the nations be filled with sons and daughters 
who know him. From the God-given mandate given to Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it, to the promise to Abraham and Sarah that their faith-filled descendants will be beyond number, to the prophecy in Habakkuk that the earth will be filled with those who have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. So this great commission is about us passing on our faith to our children and the nations so this earth might be filled. The opposite of what this graph for the UK has shown us. The truth is that on this planet, the proportion of this world who say they are Christians is growing. Praise God. But not here. Church leader. Not here, parent. Not here, child of God. Have we forgotten the first place where we must carry out the great commandment and the great commission? with our own children, in our own homes, in our own churches and our own schools. I've had the joy of being involved in running about 10 Alpha courses over the years and, and seen a number of people come to Christ and have supported discipling many people, especially as a church pastor and a teacher, and pioneered and supported many community outreach and serving projects. This is so important to be missional in this way taking the land, promised land. But how do we feel as churches, as Christians, about the prospect of seeing others saved while potentially forgetting those children in our own homes? We're losing them. Our own households. Is that not the first place? we should be focusing on? If you have any doubt, wrestle with this verse. 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What education, what great commission teaching are we providing to our own? Well, having looked at these disturbing facts and challenges, these two greats, what should we do? Well, there's hope. There's hope for parents. There are parents, schools and church communities in this secularizing Western world and here in the UK who are succeeding in passing on their Christian faith to their children in a way which lasts on into their adulthood. The biggest factor by far is what parents do and what parents prioritise. And the recent research shows this. Magruder and Trueblood, 2018, um, they did a study that looked at those children who, when they got to the ages of 18 to 30, were, were still then believers they found there were predictors of the spiritual health of those young adults. There were some things that were statistically significant. And they were these, that 
the things that happened for that child where the child regularly read the Bible while growing up. The child regularly spent time in prayer while growing up. The child regularly served in church while growing up. The child listened primarily to Christian music. The child participated in church mission trips and projects. It's not exactly rocket science, <laughs> but the research shows that these things make a really positive impact if the child is involved in them. And through these studies, in addition, they found that parents who had successfully passed on their faith to their children in a way which extended on into adulthood typically were involved in these nine activities. These were statistically significant activities. Their parents read the Bible more than once a week as their own habit for themselves. Their parents took part in a service project or church mission trip as part of their family. Their parents shared their faith with unbelievers. Their parents encouraged their teenagers to serve in the church. The parents asked for forgiveness when they messed up as parents. Their parents encouraged their children's unique talents and giftings and interests. Their parents organized annual family vacations. <laughs> Has a spiritual impact. The parents attended churches with teaching that emphasizes what the Bible says. And the parents tithed and taught their children to tithe. Why do these things make such a difference? It's all showing the child this faith in Jesus is real to me. And time and relationship with you, my child, is so important. If you're too authoritarian with this, as children grow and develop, however, entering the teenage years, the evidence shows that children will be more likely to reject the faith of their parents. The current data suggests that the family climate, especially the faithful religious devotion by both parents, but delivered in the context of a loving, nurturing environment is the most important factor. No matter what school education options you believe you have, all parents can do these things. And all churches can encourage parents to do these things and prioritize opportunities for these things. But of course, if you can have the full support of a thoroughly Christian school and community to help parents in this, then you have a community of Israel, a hero Israel community around which the children are having the foundations laid by not just their parents, but together with you as a community. There's hope with this kind of approach from parents and there's hope with schooling. You know, we've, we've seen that many of our children are not succeeding in picking up the faith and having it as an adult, but there are things you can do with schooling that will help. You can homeschool. And the positive outcomes this are strongly linked as you would expect to the faith and commitment of the parents and the family climate in each home. That authoritative, restrictive homeschooling only succeeds in switching them off. Um, and they don't get switched on to a love for Jesus. And they can have a, be isolated in a homeschool environment that doesn't connect with others. But 
a loving and nurturing Christ-centered approach in homeschooling with wider social interactions can be hugely successful and rewarding. I personally know many Christian parents who have seen this, are experiencing this, and I really honor their commitment. What's been really interesting is the development of the new independent Christian schools over the last 40 years, where the research has shown that the Christian parents of the children who go to those schools see that around 80% of their children as young adults can be said to be following Jesus and call themselves Christians and hold on to the traditional views you might hope for. This is a huge difference from the 50% seen generally, and it's because of the commitment of those parents. And the commitment of those parents is supported by the teachers who are also all committed Christians. You can see from this data from Dr. Sylvia Baker's research that as young adults, 80% are still saying, I'm a Christian. And Jesus is my saviour. As CEO of the Christian Schools Trust, I see fantastic faith-filled, Bible-centred schools where Christ is honoured as much in the geography lesson as on the playground, as, as he is in the joy-filled worship times. I see this in the ACE schools that I've had contact with, and I'm excited to be supporting a number of new independent Christian school initiatives at the moment in my work here with Christian Concern and in the Christian Schools Trust. Alongside some of the more expensive established independent Christian schools, with some faith and sacrifice, these more affordable options, which God has initiated over these last years, are possible for many Christian parents to access. Maybe you should be looking for one or even starting one. As Christians, we must get involved in schools as teachers, governors, in multi-academy trusts, in supporting Christian initiatives into schools like, like Open the Book, Christian Assemblies, the Bible Society organised, or offering to take religious studies sessions, Q&A sessions in secondary schools. Christians started education in this country, yet we seem to have given up this ground. Where necessary, we also need Christians who are prepared to stand against inappropriate teaching and influences, such as some of the content being presented in the relationships and sex education. If you don't know about what's going on there, please look at our Christian Concern website. Active, confident Christian involvement can help shape a healthier environment for our children, even in our state schools. But we need to be wide awake to the facts and vigilant to the new and prevailing influences being brought which I'm, I'm sad to say are inoculating half of our children against a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I've worked in some excellent Church of England primary schools where Christian truths are confidently celebrated. And I've heard recently from a, a bishop colleague, friend of mine, of many Christian head teachers in his diocese who are having a wonderful impact in their schools. 
There are also new state-funded free schools, which have also got a strong Christian ethos, such as one which my own church has started in Oxford. However, it's important to realise that the general trend in our state-funded schools is not a good one. Even in many state schools that have a Christian foundation, the secularising, sexualizing, de-Christianising trajectories are plain to see. We need salt and light. And then there's hope. Salt is small and sprinkled in. Light is bright and stands out. Christian teachers in state schools, for example, are like salt. And where they remain their distinctive flavour, not losing their saltiness, they have a powerful and preserving effect. I've often felt the independent Christian schools have been like light, standing out in uncompromising confidence, in supporting the parents, in discipling their children, regularly and unashamedly inviting children and young people to follow Jesus Christ and allowing the Lord to influence every part of school life. Whoever you are, there's a part for you to play in this. We can see our nation changed as faith-filled children become disciples and enter into the Great Commission with us. Now, as I close with these points about where there is hope, I want to just speak about the mental health of our children and young people. There is a pandemic at the moment. A pandemic in regards to mental health. However, the gospel of Jesus Christ taught and explained to us from a young age gives us hope, not despair. Some directly comparable research from a YouGov survey in 2018 and Dr Sylvia Baker's research showed the following. This is shocking, but makes the point well. Think about what you want for our children, because 27% of the UK's 18 to 25 year olds have no sense of purpose to their lives. And nearly 20% from this YouGov survey don't think life is even worth living. Compare that to the 1% that think life has no purpose, who've had a Christian education background. This is what Sylvia Baker's research showed. Can you see the extent of the difference here? Our children do not need to have the mental health issues that develop from a secular atheistic worldview. You can see the difference in hope for those who have had this. Those who've had the home and the church and the school together, fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission in teaching their children the gospel of Jesus Christ in community. Because as the proverb says, if you, community of God, parents, train up a child in the way it should go, when it's old, it will not turn from it. 
as they head into their adult years, they will be people of hope. The research bears this out. The scriptures show us why. So I finish as I started. Education, the teaching of our children, this is the defining existential issue for the church, for its continuation and growth and its progressing influence in the UK today. We do not have to have Judges 2.10 as the assessment over us. But if we're prepared to grasp this gospel issue, we can have flourishing children, flourishing churches, and a more flourishing and godly society in the years ahead. Educating our children? Is there a God-given mandate for us all? You bet there is. Well, I think that was a fantastic talk from Steve uh, there, and um, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Um, and um, it's great to have Steve now um, live with us um, to join us for uh, Q&A. And also uh, joining me is Andrea Williams, Chief Executive of Christian Concern as well uh, for Q&A here. Great to see you guys. Uh, really Thank great you. talk, uh, Steve. I think it's very, very powerful. I hope many, many people um, see it. If you've got questions that you'd like to pose to Steve or Andrea um, about this, then do post them on YouTube or Facebook and we will uh, try and get to them. Um, Steve, I think you left us all convicted there, really, um, about the importance of education. I mean, you, I mean you, you, you couldn't have hardly expressed it any stronger, really. I think you said it's a defining issue. I mean, it's like, sure. will the church survive or not? Well, education sure. is the litmus test, right? Um, but many churches are not taking it like that, it seems to me, that the best they do, which is not a yep. bad thing, is to hire a youth worker. Um, and that, that's a step, I suppose, in this. Um, but not many churches are thinking about starting churches or let alone encouraging homeschooling or anything like that. Um, what, what can we do about this? Um, why yeah. is this, that's number one, and then what can we do about it, number two? Well, I think the kind of biblical paradigm of, of when the people of God took over the land, they took the promised land and they, they landed in it, they started to settle down, they started to work, they got very busy. I think um, that kind of paradigm is true for our churches today. You know, we're, they're getting involved in so many things, they're involved in mission in all sorts of fantastic ways. But in that busyness, it's, it's almost like there's this collective amnesia that the that the enemy has, has sent across the church to, to kind of block out our children and for us to forget about our children. So we, we kind of almost don't notice that they're slipping away from us. And um, I, again, what I've tried to show from those statistics is we've got, a, as somebody in one of the comments has said, we've got to wake up. And I, I was a church pastor for 10, 10 years. And um, during that time, I was very busy and there was an awful lot going on and there's all sorts of issues that you're facing and things you've got to try and handle. So I, I do sympathize with church leaders. But it, it will, will really help our church leaders if people who are watching this, uh, people in congregations can actually say to their church leaders, look, do you see this? Do you understand this? This is about our long term future um, as our Christian witness in this nation. If we if we don't get this right, that judges that verse from Judges 2 will will be over us. And, and I think everybody who's been watching this, or listening to this, there's a, there's a job for us all to do into to helping our church leaders, our vicars, whoever is in. Um, the leadership of our churches to see this, 
to realize this and, and and if this talk can help they can send it on to them Definitely. i just think it's such an important thing as, as i've talked I think that, that that um image the example that you gave of the mum taking her son to school uh, well dropping her dropping the son off on the way to school or thinking well, she they, had yes yeah thinking she had but leaving him there i think uh leaving him there leaving him back in the back of the car and then um and then sadly the child died it's tragic, that of course yeah. it's absolutely tragic but i think that's well how i felt about that is you were i knew i, I knew what you're going to say in the end um i was thinking that what we do is as if what we do with our children um even in the church or, or what as a society we're conditioned to do is we're all really busy in the mornings and i remember those school runs and we get them into school and we go oh, they're in school and we leave them there until we go and pick them up to do the mad crazy busyness at the end of the day but for those formative hours the children are being drip fed well the stuff of the state the sure. stuff you know, what what this culture thinks and um that i mean that and that's that of course is what you're presenting to us is the, the dilemma but what do we think that's doing to our children day in uh, day out how, how do we think they're going to manage and when the stuff is really bad then it's kind of it is sort of slowly I don't want to sound too dramatic here, but it's like a kind of poison. It's it's an it's stuff that's anti-Christian. It's not Stop making it, them yeah. well. It's not keeping them well. Yeah, yeah. And the, the phrase that the phrase that I used was it, it's, it's like it's inoculating our children from Christian faith. Yes, inoculate exactly, and possibly even and even perhaps more than that, because it's really doing them harm, harm from which they can't recover. And I think what breaks my heart is that we've got. A generation of young people growing up who don't know how to hear the gospel. This is not this is not even within the church because of what they they're absorbed by um, externally, um, but also are just hurting and confused about who they are, um, how they form relationships. And the gospel is such wonderful, vibrant, good news, as you said, yeah. it's the life giving Amen. news. And it's our job to give it to them because that's and, but, it's, but it's not. Um, but in some ways, you know, we, we painted a gloomy picture. But Steve, um, you're talking about more people are standing up new churches, new schools. Excuse me, new church, new schools. Um, and there seems to be more interest in this now. I think the interest and in, in the recognition, of the importance of it, is growing. Is it not? Do you want, can you that's talk about right. that a bit as well? Yeah. I mean, well, well, I was principal of the King's School Whitney for, for many years and just stopped doing that. And one of the things that we were seeing were quite a lot of parents coming to us and, and seeing um, what's been going on in schools and kind of waking up themselves. Well, crumbs, they're teaching this to my children. Um, mm. I don't want them to, I don't want them hearing this. Is there anything else we can do? And so there, there, is an, there was a bit of a wave of that back in the 70s and 80s, I believe, as, as people were concerned with what their children were being taught and, and started to to really pick up on the sense of God speaking to them. There were parents all over the place that were starting to homeschool or started to start schools back in the 70s and 80s. And from what, I, what I'm picking up, it feels like there's that kind of momentum beginning again with the people I'm talking to who are wanting to start schools, who are thinking about homeschooling, who are really wrestling with this issue of how much the secularizing, secularizing and sexualizing influences are really getting into our children. It, this is starting to wake people up. And so mm, there is hope mm. for, for people who are and, kind of... And where do people find them. out about, you know, uh, schools? If, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, well, you know, I'd love, a, love to use a Christian school, but where are they? 
or I'd love to join a homeschooling network. Where is it? Where, where do people find that out, Steve? Yeah, well, if you if you read some of our articles on the Christian Concern website, you'll you'll find some of these places where we talk about these things. That the I'm also CEO of the Christian Schools Trust. You can go on the Christian Schools Trust website and you can see dotted on the map there where different Christian schools are. There's the ACE schools. You go on CEE Europe and you can find out where those schools are. If you go to the Chess website, that's that's not about playing chess. That's about that's the homeschoolers, um, Christian homeschoolers, and um, I'll be speaking at one of their conferences coming up soon so th there are i mean get on google start searching do, do your research got, parents that's it and i think we've got janine bells here watch and um, she's watching with us i yeah. know and she's got classical conversations going on we've got tom and Haley bowen who by faith are starting a new school in dudley and if you want to support them or live near them please get in touch with them and google uh, their school you know the thing the thing is we talked a lot about planting churches We've talked a lot about that um, in the last couple of decades. But I say, what about holding on to the children we've got? When we've got teachers in our congregations, uh, well, first of all, hold on to them at home. But when we've got teachers in our congregations, why not think creatively about how we can keep the children that are in our church safe? Yeah. We've got many of us have got buildings or access to buildings. And um, that's right. Members of our congregation who are teachers. We can do it. We can change this. And, you know, imagine, imagine this, that triangle picture of children being raised in the faith, you know, in, in the home, the, the church and the um, school, that being so connected for the glory of God. You know, yeah. I grew up in I grew up in uh, 1970s Britain and uh, school was schooled there. I had I didn't have a great view of. Christian education particularly, okay? So I'll just confess that. Then I did two years in the States, um, which was a surprise to me at the, when my uh, Lily, our eldest daughter, was first born 25 years ago. And the church had attached to it a Christian school, Perimeter Church in Atlanta. And I remember as I walked, I thought, really a Christian school and really there, I was suddenly first um, introduced to all these home educators. And as mm. the children walked through the door of the school, there was a sign, God made the world. And I saw these children skipping in under that archway with God made the world. And I thought, wow, this is how to educate yeah. our children. God and, made and, the world. Um, and, and perhaps you see that is something where um you know perhaps you'd like to elaborate on that steve because people might be asking well what's so different about a christian education because surely isn't it the same curriculum uh, are you teaching them the same maths and the same science and the same french language or whatever it is you know so could you just give us a bit more of a vision of what a christian school is yeah it's it's, it's a totally different premise that everything is is set on where God is at the centre of everything. And what's happening with schools now is God is systematically being taken out. And let's let's get rid of assemblies. Let's get rid of God from every aspect of of, um, of our schools. Whereas in a Christian school, you, you can be you can be praying for, for wisdom in a in a history lesson about how to do leadership properly when you're thinking about the kings and queens. And you can mm. be worshipping God in the assemblies, but you can also be celebrating creativity in the art lesson. And it's, it's something yeah. which which is a part of every part of the curriculum in terms of curriculum. But again, yeah. what a Christian school is doing is really training the character of the children as well and pointing them towards growing as those who are going to be followers of Jesus Christ in 
in how they handle themselves as people. And that's something which mm -hmm. the Christian teachers, because again, in, in, in Christian schools, um, they have committed Christians who are teaching the children. And, and teaching is, is such a relational process. God's designed it to be a relational process. And when you pass your children onto the school, there's this, mm. there's this principle of delegated authority. Your children think, okay, right, well, I'm with them. So, so their attitudes and what they're telling me has got to be right. And, um, and they mm. just pick these things mm. up. They just catch from, from their teachers. Well, yeah, it's a yeah, relational I mean, process. They catch those attitudes. And so I mean, I, in a I Christian went, school, they're um, catching Christianity and love for Jesus. Yeah, I mean, just to share some of my story, but I went to, I was secular education and um, brought up in a faith family, going to, school, going to church every week and crusaders and other things like that. But my conclusion as a teenager was that the logical consequence of what I'm being taught was that there's not a God. Yeah. And so I left the faith at that point um, because of that. You know? And then when I, well, I recovered my faith and then um, became a student and caught the vision when I actually heard about your school, Steve King School, before you were headmaster there, I expect. Um, and the vision that grabbed me was worship every day and memorizing scripture and bringing God into every lesson and showing how every subject relates to God. And I was like, wow, you know, that is what we must do. That is so strong and so powerful. So that, that's how I caught the vision when I heard about it um, in your church there in Oxford. Let's get on some comments here. Do comment and ask questions and stuff. There's a very interesting comment from Katie Passler um, on Facebook. Um, she says, let me find it here. There we are. I left a successful career in teaching when I became a Christian because continuing would have compromised my beliefs. Uh, when I became a mother, I knew I would not be sending my child to school. Wow. Miraculously, an independent Christian school is opening near to where I live. God is calling us out. Wow. Well, thank you very much for um, sharing that, Katie. Praise and God. then later on, she says it's the King Alfred's classical school in the West Midlands. Um, so some of you might want to look that one up. Uh, we had a question from Christian Spivey. Tim, is that these schools like... Yeah. Like the like the the school that Steve has led and many others that's, that he's referred to, mm. they become like beacons. You know, they become. Yeah. You know, you talked about the you know teachers being salt and and really building the character of the children. But then the schools become beacons in the communities. The mm. other parents look at them and say, "How come these children are so content? This kind of flourishing that we find yes. in the gospel, in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, mm. the mm. happiness, the contentment, the mm. the lack of pressure that you know, that all of those things, helping the children to cope with the pressure that the world will bring. Yeah. All of these things are there when we really." are loving our children mm. in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and enabling them to love him. So mm. the more mm. that we bring these schools in um, and, and home educate and so on, I really believe that people are going to see the difference in the children because, you know, mm. there is, as Steve has given us a lot of uh, stats tonight, but there are all those stats about, our, as, as Steve already mentioned, but even our young children just being deeply unhappy. Mm, children, mm. children, when they're young, why should any child be deeply unhappy? Um, yeah. You know, it's just yeah. it, it's not the way that it um, should, yeah. be, should be. There's a question here from Christina Spivey. Hi, Christina. I know her from my church, um, and she she asked earlier on. Basically, you put up a slide about the charts, and you said um, Islam is growing while Christianity is declining. And if it's all due to secularism, why isn't that affecting the Muslim faith as well? Um, Steve, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, there are an awful lot of um, cultural issues at play in Islam. And um, obviously there's cultural issues at play with Christianity. It's, it's actually quite difficult to leave Islam, given the way in which it um, 
works itself out from one generation to the next. Um, there is, it's quite a, a it'll be a, it's a very difficult thing. I've known Muslims who have converted to Christianity and that is, that is a very frightening and scary step for those that have, those that have done that. Whereas it's quite easy to just kind of, it seems to just drift away from Christianity and become secular. So there's, there's, there's a lot of cultural issues at play there. There's, there's also things to do with extended family. Whereas in, in our Western society, we've got this kind of nuclear family idea in our little box over here. Whereas there's a much stronger integrated community of people who are passing on a faith to their children um, mm. in, in a I lot of Muslim if, um, But I wonder, Steve, to add to that, I wonder if they Please. have these madrasas, don't they? Um, they do, which is yeah. like a whole additional schooling system. Absolutely. Right, yeah. that they do. Uh, they take it seriously. Thing. And the other thing is, do you remember all the protests about no outsiders in Muslim-dominated schools? I mean, they, they basically withdrew the whole school pretty much um, over that. And you don't see Christians taking that kind of active stance. I've not heard of it. There is a um, fear. There's a fear in Christians to even talk about these things. And, and there's, a, there's a blind spot as well, I think. It's just a blind spot, and which is why yeah. being able to say these things and pass them on and get it out on Facebook and, and talk about these things with your, with your church leaders is so important because it's, it's like we can, we can really do it. I mean, we yeah. can really do it. Our children belong to us. They don't belong yeah. to the state. We don't have to push them out. We're not going we, we're not going to be penalized for doing that. We just have to be the parents that we're meant to be. Uh, we're meant to look after our children the way that we're meant to look after them. And mm. part of the reason mm. why in I think the most but the Muslims um, t tend not to be called out in the same way as Christians is because um, the Christians, uh, in, in a sense, they, they, they're not staking um, their place very loudly in the ground, whereas the Muslims, whereas the state won't touch what, what the Muslims want to do, or you'll find a lot of Muslim communities are in um, pockets. So you'll find them... Um, in you know very much in certain areas in London, in Birmingham, so on and so forth, so that the whole school um, very much becomes a place where, um, which is you know uh, very sympathetic towards Islam in a way. Yeah, yeah. In a, I mean, Tim, you know uh, you you know a lot about you know a lot about this yourself, but yeah. also then the state tends to cede to that in a way that they don't to Christianity. And I think that's very interesting. I think it's a yeah. big spiritual issue across the nation, but it's something that is real. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to say that secularization isn't affecting Muslims. I've got Muslim yeah. friends who would say they're, they're distraught at the sexualization of yeah. their children around. And often we can, right. we can work together with them on those kinds of things. So it certainly yeah. does affect yeah. them as well, but yeah. 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 So, and there's a few comments on the chat about um, people who've done or moved into homeschooling. Joanne Park has put a comment on Facebook um, saying, I never dreamed I'd be able to homeschool my own children, but have been do doing so fully since March and mm. God provide. And um, there are a number of people like that. Andrea, maybe you'd like to mention Nigel and Sally Rowe, would you, in this context? Oh, Nigel and Sally Rowe are a wonderful couple. They're quite well known within the Christian uh, concern family but can you imagine in the church of england primary school um that one of the children um in one of their son's classes um began a little boy began to identify as a little girl and they very they were very involved in the school and they very gently tried to raise this with the, the head of the school but in the end it was they who were the ones that were forced out accused of being transphobic the 
the diocesan education uh, authority um, within uh, within Portsmouth covering the Isle of Wight sided with the school and we found this over and over again where Christian parents have raised the issue around the way in which transgenderism is being taught in school, the mermaids program has entered the school, these sorts of things. Um, but even within the Church of England schools, the, the, the diocesan education boards have sided with the service providers, with um, the um, head teachers in the provision of that education often, that is, often that's been developed by Stonewall or mermaids. Nigel and Sally Rowe, in the end, withdrew both their sons, and perhaps we can actually um, put the link to their story and to the yeah. film. Yeah, they've done that. that. Yeah, that's fantastic that they um, have made. But you know, they've gone on. Their children were so much happier when mm -hmm. they were when they came out. They came out of uh, the school. Yeah. And that's so I've got a question here that relates to this, um, Andrea. I yeah. hope I'm going to pronounce your name right. It's is it Malika Miriam on Facebook. Um, do we have to justify taking our kids out of the state education system? No, no, absolutely not. And this is what I this is what I think that we need to um, to really get a hold of. Um, There's look, freedom I, for us. It's free, that we are free. Yeah. Mm. And as parents, you know, our children belong to us. They do. And, and I just want to say this, you know. I, we, I've got such a lot of love and respect for teachers. Many of my best friends are teachers. And in fact, one of my, in fact, my best, you know, both Claire and Suzanne, the friends that I love from, from uh, university, they are, te they are teachers. Um, and they do an amazing, they do an amazing job in the state, um, in the state sector. And, you know, I didn't homeschool, um, home educate my, my children. Um, but the point about it, um, but and I've, I have a lot of respect for the schools that my children went to. So I think we need to say that too. I don't think we need to yeah. necessarily say that everything out there is really bad because it isn't. It's as, as Steve said in his presentation. So I think we need to be discerning and we need to love and pray for the local schools and the local teachers and be involved where we can. But if it's not enough, if we can see that our children are being damaged by this and they very often are then we've got to have the courage to yeah. say our children first of all belong to us we don't you know it's not they're not going to the state can't lock us up if we choose to keep them home and keep them safe if we choose to say that we're going to raise them up in the faith first and we don't want to be drip feeding mm -hmm. them the, mm -hmm. the, the it's interesting to note though isn't it in germany um homeschooling is illegal is it not right and in france they've just had proposals to ban homeschooling as well so, you know, this could come, you know, in, in the way the law is moving at the moment. I hope it never we do, does. We do have to defend our freedoms. You're, you're right, Tim. And what yeah. I would say is whenever I've discovered parents in, in those really challenging circumstances or they're really being challenged by God, God always provides a way. And as they as they pray, as parents say, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? As churches really catch us and pray, miracles happen. God provides mm. in the most wonderful kinds of ways. But you know what? Mm. It often requires sacrifice. You have to lay down your time. You have to lay mm. down your finances. You have to be prepared to look silly and uh, feel mm. like you have to justify yourself to people sometimes. But mm. it is so worth it. I mean, wh what's more precious than our mm. children? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps one more question. Um, James Porter on Facebook. What can single people do to help? 
what can we do to prepare the way for homeschooling our future? Can I just finish just yeah. before we go on to that question? I just want um, I just want to say that yes, it's happened in Germany this banning of homeschooling, mm. but we can't let it happen here. No. And this is where we have to rate. We have to put our stake in the ground today, this night, this day. We put our stake mm. in the ground. Um, this day, we let the government hear um, mm. that we are that our children belong to us. This day. We're going to home educate really well. This day, we're going to raise up schools and teachers that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that are proud to be Christian and want to raise and educate their children in the way that they should go. And we are going to be a force to be reckoned with as we dem and we're and we're going to show the fruits of the yes. faith. Um, yeah. And how and that, so I think that's really important to say that and to stand. And we must have courageous people that are prepared to stand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to just say that before we moved on yeah. to the young and, people. And yes, young people can help was the, the next question. And yes, it's, it's a, the, the whole co the commandment is hero Israel. I mean, it's a it is a community thing. It's yeah. not just parents mm. on their own. Um, the, the young man there who was asking, there were, there were grandparents commenting, I think, as well in the live mm. stream. This yeah. is the Great Commission is for all of us. And the Great Commission involves passing faith onto our our children, those in our own homes. And we can all play a part in that. I mean, become a teacher, get involved in your local school, become a governor. You don't have to be a teacher to become to become a governor. You don't have to even be a parent. You can offer your services in, in your local schools and really get behind those fresh faith-filled initiatives that are going on. Mm. You know what I love is the idea of, you know, the parents, we, the God gives the children to the parents and, and the extended family, of course. But then we have the community that is the church, you know? And I and I think very much of the the children that alongside my children within the church, how much I loved them, how much I felt like I was raising our children along with the other parents, that this was a community of believers that were raising our yeah. children. And as I look at the children that come after mine, I really love them with a passion. Now, I'm not seeing them every Sunday night, but I'm following them. I'm following the lives. I pray for them. And that's the mm. community believers you know that other people see this from the outside that's the beacon on the hill stuff hmm. that is who are these people who are these children because i want to be part of that that's that's the great commission the great commandment and the great commission we will do this in our society <coughs> because, because the truth sets us free and our children you know and the gospel is great and beautiful and the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of following the lord jesus christ and our love and beauty and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control and beautiful character just imagine when people see that truly exhibited in a world that's hope hurting well that's mm. how we grow that's how we grow the kingdom thy kingdom yeah. come on earth as it is in heaven we can't give up these precious children to the state they're not little they're not commodities to be passed around they're characters to be molded for king jesus you know and yeah. and, and to love him and to serve him yeah. Amen. fantastic listen i think that's a appropriate point to end on really um thank you so much steve uh, really a lot of work i can see has gone into that presentation and a lot of experience as well and um, do share it, um, do share it on social media, share it uh, with your church, with your church leaders um, and share it around other people as well. I think it's an important talk that uh, many people need to hear. Thank you for engaging with us. I hope you found that helpful. Uh, we run a live stream every Friday at 1 p.m. Uh, around the table with Chris Concern. We'll be here on that next. Uh, do like and follow, subscribe to our, um, our posts on YouTube and Facebook um, and connect with us uh, by email as well. 
and uh, see you again soon. Thank you very much.